Shema Yisrael Adonai Eloheinu Adonai Echad Baruch Shem Kehud Malkuto Le'olam Va'ed Hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord is one. Blessed be the name of the glory of His kingdom forever and ever. Amen. Good morning, Mishpacha. Welcome to the Daily Audio Torah. I'm Laura Densmore, your host, and I'm so glad you're joining in with me today. Today is Monday, April 24th. Torah was meant to be lived out in community and in the context of relationships. A very effective way to study the Bible is in a small group doing a midrash, or discussion. This helps you to go deeper into the Word as you take time to reflect on it, make connections from one scripture to another, and apply the scriptures to your personal walk. We have added a new feature on the Daily Audio Torah website. If you are involved in a small group Bible study or would like to start one, we can help you. We have added discussion questions for you to use when your group gathers. We will post discussion questions for every Shabbat reading, and they will be posted on the website a week in advance so you have time to read and prepare ahead of time. We have also posted guidelines for leaders facilitators to help you grow your small group in a healthy way. Just go to the new pick on the menu, Discussion Questions, and you will find everything you need there to nurture and grow your small group. We also offer coaching support if you need help or have questions. See the Guidelines for Leaders PDF for details. Have fun learning and growing in God's Word together in your small group. Now, let's continue our journey through the entire Bible in one year. This week we are reading from the New Living Translation for the Hebrew Scriptures and for the Brit Hadashah. Today we continue the Torah portion, Akarai Mot, and it means, After the Death. Leviticus 16, 20-34 When Aaron has finished purifying the Most Holy Place and the Tabernacle and the Altar, he must present the live goat. He will lay both of his hands on the goat's head and confess over it all the wickedness, rebellion, and sins of the people of Israel. In this way, he will transfer the people's sins to the head of the goat. Then a man specially chosen for the task will drive the goat into the wilderness. As the goat goes into the wilderness, it will carry all the sin people's sins upon itself into a desolate land. When Aaron goes back into the tabernacle, he must take off the linen garments he was wearing when he entered the most holy place, and he must leave the garments there. Then he must bathe himself with water in a sacred place, put on his regular garments, and go out to sacrifice a burnt offering for himself and a burnt offering for the people. Through this process he will purify himself and the people, making them right with the Lord. 
he must then burn all the fat of the sin offering on the altar. The man chosen to drive the scapegoat into the wilderness of Azazel must wash his clothes and bathe himself in water. Then he may return to the camp. The bull and the goat presented as sin offerings, whose blood Aaron takes into the Most Holy Place for the purification ceremony, will be carried outside the camp. The animal's hides, internal organs, and dung are all to be burned. The man who burns them must wash his clothes and bathe himself in water before returning to the camp. On the tenth day of the appointed month in early autumn, you must deny yourselves. Neither native-born Israelites nor foreigners living among you may do any kind of work. This is a permanent law for you. On that day, offerings of purification will be made for you, and you will be purified in the Lord's presence from all your sins. It will be a Sabbath day of complete rest for you, and you must deny yourselves. This is a permanent law for you. In future generations, the purification ceremony will be performed by the priest who has been appointed and ordained to serve as high priest in place of his ancestor Aaron. He will put on the holy linen garments and purify the most holy place, the tabernacle, the altar, the priests, and the entire congregation. This is a permanent law for you, to purify the people of Israel from their sins, making them right with the Lord once each year. Moses followed all these instructions exactly as the Lord had commanded him. Judges 2, 10-331 After that generation died, another generation grew up who did not acknowledge the Lord or remember the mighty things he had done for Israel. The Israelites did evil in the Lord's sight and served the images of Baal. They abandoned the Lord, the God of their ancestors, who had brought them out of Egypt. They went after other gods, worshipping the gods of the people around them. And they angered the Lord. They abandoned the Lord to serve Baal and the images of Ashtoreth. This made the Lord burn with anger against Israel, so he handed them over to the raiders who stole their possessions. He turned them over to their enemies all around, and they were no longer able to resist them. Every time Israel went out to battle, the Lord fought against them, causing them to be defeated, just as he had warned, and the people were in great distress. Then the Lord raised up judges to rescue the Israelites from their attackers. Yet Israel did not listen to the judges, but prostituted themselves by worshiping other gods. How quickly they turned away from the path of their ancestors, who had walked in obedience to the Lord's commands. Whenever the Lord raised up a judge over Israel, He was with that judge and rescued the people from their enemies throughout the judge's lifetime. For the Lord took pity on his people who were burdened by oppression and suffering. 
But when the judge died, the people returned to their corrupt ways, behaving worse than those who had lived before them. They went after other gods, serving and worshiping them, and they refused to give up their evil practices and stubborn ways. So the Lord burned with anger against Israel. He said, Because these people have violated my covenant, which I made with their ancestors, and have ignored my commands, I will no longer drive out the nations that Joshua left unconquered when he died. I did this to test Israel, to see whether or not they would follow the ways of the Lord as their ancestors did. That is why the Lord left those nations in place. He did not quickly drive them out or allow Joshua to conquer them all. These are the nations that the Lord left in the land to test those Israelites who had not experienced the wars of Canaan. He did this to teach warfare to generations of Israelites who had no experience in battle. These are the nations, the Philistines, those living under the five Philistine rulers, all the Canaanites, the Sidonians, and the Hivites living in the mountains of Lebanon from Mount Baal Hermon to Lebo Hamath, These people were left to test the Israelites to see whether they would obey the commands the Lord had given to their ancestors through Moses. So the people of Israel lived among the Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites, and they intermarried with them. Israelite sons married their daughters, and Israelite daughters were given in marriage to their sons and the Israelites served their gods. The Israelites did evil in the Lord's sight. They forgot about the Lord their God, and they served the images of Baal and the Asherah poles. Then the Lord burned with anger against Israel, and he turned them over to King Cushan Rishathaim of Aram Naharaim. And the Israelites served Cushan Rishathaim for eight years. But when the people of Israel cried out to the Lord for help, the Lord raised up a rescuer to save them. His name was Othniel, the son of Caleb's younger brother Kenaz. The Spirit of the Lord came upon him, and he became Israel's judge. He went to war against King Cushan Rishathaim of Aram, and the Lord gave Othniel victory over him. So there was peace in the land for forty years. Then Othniel, son of Kenaz, died. Once again the Israelites did evil in the Lord's sight, and the Lord gave King Eglon of Moab control over Israel because of their evil. Eglon enlisted the Ammonites and Amalekites as allies, and then he went out and defeated Israel, taking possession of Jericho the city of Palms. And the Israelites served Eglon of Moab for eighteen years. But when the people of Israel cried out to the Lord for help, the Lord again raised up a rescuer to save them. His name was Ehud, son of Gera, a left-handed man of the tribe of Benjamin. The Israelites sent Ehud to deliver their tribute money to King Eglon of Moab. So Ehud made a double-edged dagger that was about a foot long, and he strapped it to his right thigh, keeping it hidden under his clothing. He brought the tribute money to Eglon, who was very fat. 
After delivering the payment, Ehud started home with those who had helped carry the tribute. But when Ehud reached the stone idols near Gilgal, he turned back. He came to Eglon and said, I have a secret message for you. So the king commanded his servants, Be quiet. And he sent them all out of the room. Ehud walked over to Eglon, who was sitting alone in a cool upstairs room. And Ehud said, I have a message from God for you. As King Eglon rose from his seat, Ehud reached with his left hand, pulled out the dagger strapped to his right thigh, and plunged it into the king's belly. The dagger went so deep that the handle disappeared beneath the king's fat. So Ehud did not pull out the dagger, and the king's bowels emptied. Then Ehud closed and locked the doors of the room and escaped down the latrine. After Ehud was gone, the king's servants returned and found the doors to the upstairs room locked. They thought he might be using the latrine in the room, so they waited. But when the king didn't come out after a long delay, they became concerned and got a key. And when they opened the doors, they found their master dead on the floor. While the servants were waiting, Ehud escaped, passing the stone idols on his way to Sirah. When he arrived in the hill country of Ephraim, Ehud sounded a call to arms. Then he led a band of Israelites down from the hills. Follow me, he said, for the Lord has given you victory over Moab, your enemy. So they followed him, and the Israelites took control of the shallow crossings of the Jordan River across from Moab, preventing anyone from crossing. They attacked the Moabites and killed about 10,000 of their strongest and most able-bodied warriors. Not one of them escaped. So Moab was conquered by Israel that day, and there was peace in the land for 80 years. After Ehud, Shamgar, son of Anath, rescued Israel. He once killed 600 Philistines with an ox goad. Luke 22, 14-34 When the time came, Yeshua and the apostles sat down together at the table. Yeshua said, I have been very eager to eat this Passover meal with you before my suffering begins. For I tell you now that I won't eat this meal again until its meaning is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. Then he took a cup of wine and gave thanks to God for it. Then he said, Take this and share it among yourselves. For I will not drink wine again until the kingdom of God has come. He took some bread and gave thanks to God for it. Then he broke it in pieces and gave it to the disciples, saying, This is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. After supper he took another cup of wine and said, This cup is the new covenant between God and his people an agreement confirmed with my blood, which is poured out as a sacrifice for you. But here at this table, sitting among us as a friend, is the man who will betray me, for it has been determined that the Son of Man must die. But what sorrow awaits the one who betrays him? The disciples began to ask each other which of them would ever do such a thing. Then they began to argue among themselves about who would be the greatest among them. Yeshua told them, 
In this world the kings and great men lord it over their people, yet they are called friends of the people. But among you it will be different. Those who are the greatest among you should take the lowest rank, and the leader should be like a servant. Who is more important, the one who sits at the table or the one who serves? The one who sits at the table, of course, but not here, for I am among you as one who serves. You have stayed with me in my time of trial, and just as my Father has granted me a kingdom, I now grant you the right to eat and drink at my table in my kingdom. And you will sit on thrones judging the twelve tribes of Israel. Simon, Simon, Satan has asked to sift each of you like wheat. But I have pleaded in prayer for you, Simon, that your faith should not fail. So when you have repented and turned to me again, strengthen your brothers. Peter said, Lord, I am ready to go to prison with you and even to die with you. But Yeshua said, Peter, let me tell you something. Before the rooster crows tomorrow morning, you will deny me three times that you even know me. Psalm 92, 1-93, 5 It is good to give thanks to the Lord, to sing praises to the Most High. It is good to proclaim your unfailing love in the morning, your faithfulness in the evening, accompanied by a ten-stringed instrument, a harp, and the melody of a lyre. You thrill me, Lord, with all you have done for me. I sing for joy because of what you have done. O Lord, what great works you do, and how deep are your thoughts! Only a simpleton would not know, and only a fool would not understand this. Though the wicked sprout like weeds, and evildoers flourish, they will be destroyed forever. But you, O Lord, will be exalted forever. Your enemies, Lord, will surely perish. All evildoers will be scattered. For you have made me as strong as a wild ox. You have anointed me with the finest oil. My eyes have seen the downfall of my enemies. My ears have heard the defeat of my wicked opponents. But the godly will flourish like palm trees and grow strong like the cedars of Lebanon for they are transplanted to the Lord's own house. They flourish in the courts of our God. Even in old age, they will still produce fruit. They will remain vital and green. They will declare, The Lord is just. He is my rock. There is no evil in him. The Lord is king. He is robed in majesty. Indeed, the Lord is robed in majesty and armed with strength. The world stands firm and cannot be shaken. Your throne, O Lord, has stood from time immemorial. You yourself are from the everlasting past. The floods have risen up, O Lord. The floods have roared like thunder. The floods have lifted their pounding waves. But mightier than the violent raging of the seas, mightier than the breakers on the shore, The Lord above is mightier than these. Your royal laws cannot be changed. You reign, O Yahweh. Your reign is holy forever and ever.
Proverbs 14, 1 and 2 A wise woman builds her home, but a foolish woman tears it down with her own hands. Those who follow the right path fear the Lord. Those who take the wrong path despise Him. I'd like to speak to you today from our reading from the book of Judges, and we're focusing in on the topic of idolatry. And there's a definite application to life today. So let's begin in Judges chapter 2, verse 13. The Israelites did evil in the Lord's sight and served the images of Baal. They abandoned the Lord, the God of their ancestors, who had brought them out of Egypt. They went after other gods, worshipping the gods of the people around them. And they angered the Lord. They abandoned the Lord to serve Baal and the images of Ashtoreth. So what is this Baal and Ashtoreth that the book of Judges is talking about? And what application does that have to do with today? So let's do a deep dive on this. And I did a little bit of research, went to a couple of different websites to look this up for you. And um, at one website, compellingtruth.org, why did the Israelites fall into idolatry so easily? Why Why were they so quick to turn away from the God of Israel and begin to worship Baal and Asherah? So on this one website, compellingtruth.org, it answers this question. There were a couple of primary reasons why the Israelites fell so easily into the worship of Baal and Asherah in particular. Sex and status. So Asherah was associated to sex. Baal was associated with power. Baal and Asherah were like a, they go together, the male and the female side of a god. First, the worship of Baal and Asherah involved sex and patterns of prostitution as a part of their religious rites. Israelite men began engaging in sexual immorality with women from other nations, and in doing so, they were explicitly disobeying God's commands to keep themselves separate from those who worshipped idols. God gave them multiple chances to repent, but the cycle of idol worship followed by repentance continued. In the end, the Israelites did not truly repent of their idolatry, and they lost the promised land that God had brought them to. They were conquered by the nations of Assyria and Babylon. Idolatry distanced the Israelites from God, and it can still distance us from God today. After a lengthy exile and true repentance, God once again restored them to their land. Idolatry is a consistent temptation for most believers, even those who are passionate and devoted to God. Why? Because it is easy to miss. Idolatry takes many forms, but at the core it takes something good, such as love, money, security, success, and turns it into a god. In his book Counterfeit Gods, Tim Keller writes about the idols of the heart. A counterfeit God is anything so central and essential to your life that should you lose it, your life would hardly feel worth living. 
if anything becomes more fundamental than God to your happiness, meaning in life, and identity, then it is an idol. Continuing on, there's another website I went to to look up about Baal and Ashtoreth. Uh, it's called ICR, Institute of Creation Research.org. And it talks about Baal and Ashtoreth there from Judges chapter 2, verse 13. Baal and Ashtoreth were the principal god and goddess, respectively, of the Canaanite nations. Balaam and Ashtoreth were the plural forms of these names, referring to the many shrines and images in their honor. Baal was essentially associated with the sun and storms, Ashtoreth with sex and fertility. As nature gods energized by demonic spirits, they claim to have evolved out of the primeval watery chaos. The worship of both was both grossly licentious and extremely cruel. They were essentially equivalent to similar gods in other countries, having all originated at the first Babylon under Nimrod and then spread throughout the ancient world with the dispersion. Coming back to the book of Judges, in chapter 3, verse 5, it says, So the people of Israel lived among the Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites, and they intermarried with them. Israelite sons married their daughters, and Israelite daughters were given in marriage to their sons, and the Israelites served their gods. The Israelites did evil in the Lord's sight. They forgot about the Lord their God, and they served the images of Baal and the Asherah poles. Now, how is this relevant today, and how can I apply this to my walk? Jonathan Kahn has come out with his most recent book, and it's about the return of the gods. And he goes at length in this latest book about Baal and Ashtoreth and how it is really manifesting in a huge way in America and in other nations. So what does that look like? Well, we know that Ashtoreth is associated with sex and fertility, sexual immorality in particular. And what do we see that is extremely dominant in the news and in the culture of the USA right now? We see not just homosexuality, but we see transgenderism and the push to, to indoctrinate children from a very early age to question their own identity and then to go through gender affirmation or child mutilation surgery to change their gender. And we see drag queens performing for schools and libraries, and it's por pornographic and extremely explicitly sexual in its nature, sexualizing children at a very young age. This is the spirit of Ashtoreth, and it's demonic, and it's quite prevalent in the culture of America right now. What about Baal? Baal is all about worship of the sun and about power and status and prestige. So we see people who clamor for power and who are absolutely corrupted by the power that they get 
in the current governmental structures and entities that are ruling over the nation. It seems like the agenda is destroy America and do it as quickly as you can. That seems to be the hidden, not so hidden agenda. And with the power in the hands of a puppet who is under the control of the CCP, we see all kinds of terrible things happening in America. We see the non-existent southern border with hundreds of thousands of illegals crossing the border, not just from Latin America, but from all over the world, and especially from the Middle East and from China. And even the northern border is extremely porous now, and lots of invaders are coming in through the northern border from Canada. And so it's very demonic, these, uh, the worship of false gods. But how do I apply this to my own personal life? The question to ask myself, to ask yourself, is, is there anything in my life that I value and love so much that life would not be worth living if I didn't have that thing in my life anymore? Perhaps it's a husband or a wife. Perhaps it's your comfortable home or a cute little dog or a large 401k account that you're able to draw from for your retirement. Is there anything in your life that if it was removed, you would say, I don't want to go on living anymore? If that is true for anything, that thing is an idol. So idols are hard to discern and spot because it's a good thing to love a spouse, to love a cute little dog, to uh, be comfortable and to be thankful for a nice home that the Lord has provided to you, or to love your children. Those are all good things. But when the problem is a good thing can become an idol if we love it too much. In other words, Yeshua has to be number one. He has to be supreme. You have to take the, we need to take the position, Yeshua, if I had everything taken away like Job and all was lost, if a big storm blew through and I lost my home and everybody died and I was the only one who survived and I had no money and I lost all my family, you're still enough for me. You are all that I need. You are my all in all. That's the place and the position and the mindset that we need to have is that Yeshua is enough. He is sufficient. He is all that we need. He is our home. He is the lover of our soul. He is our husband. He is our provider. So I would just encourage you to do uh, take stock. Ask yourself the question, is there anything in my life that I really don't want to give it up? Because if it were gone, I wouldn't want to go on. And ask the Holy Spirit to reveal to you if there are any idols of the heart that need to be brought down. Because Yeshua wants to be the, the king. He wants to be on the throne of your heart. He is our King. He is our Lord. And He is returning soon.
Have a blessed day. We'll see you tomorrow. Shalom. Blessing from Numbers chapter 6, 24 to 26. Adonai bless you and keep you. Adonai make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. Adonai lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. <laughs>